This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. Chief Harold Hatcher of the Waccamaw Indian people has been fighting for his tribe to be recognized. That effort started about 30 years ago, and it's far from over. His tribe is one of nine that are recognized by the state of South Carolina. What they're still hoping for, though, is recognition on the federal level, which comes with significant benefits. Federally recognized tribes can be eligible for specific services and protections and have a government-to-government relationship with the United States. But getting that recognition doesn't come easily, as evidenced by the decades put into the effort for the Waccamaw Indian people of South Carolina. After all these years, there have been recent signs of progress, Chief Hatcher said. Progress that could eventually propel them toward that recognition. Today, we'll hear directly from Chief Hatcher himself on why getting that acknowledgement is something worth fighting for. And two South Carolina professors share details of a new exhibit about the WACMA that's opening next week. My name is uh, Harold Buster. Buster's a nickname. Hatcher. I am the chief of the WACMA Indian people and have been now for about 30 years. I retired from the Army in 1988, 20 years with the Army. And when I grew up here in Myrtle Beach and Conway in the segregated times, and they really didn't know what to do with an Indian. We we were too dark to, to be white and too white to be black. So I went to a white school, and it was... Uh, pretty tough. I mean, really, you got a six or seven year old kid. And if he drinks out the water fountain, there's a fight. When he gets off the bus, there's a fight. I mean, I didn't know why it was, but I knew it was, you know, that I was somehow I was not accepted there. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but to me in my gizzard, and that's what I mean when I say that, I mean, my soul, my, my insides, I knew I had to be I had to stand up against it. That's the way my daddy was. He, he told me, he said, Sonny, it doesn't matter what it is you've got. If somebody wants it, somebody needs it, it's okay to give it to them. But don't you let a bitch take it. And I guess it stuck. Chief Hatcher's fight for recognition really got started when he bought a company and tried to register it as a minority-owned business. But he said when he tried to do that and explained that he's Native, he said he was told, quote, but there aren't any Indians in South Carolina. I said, how do you mean you don't have Indians in South Carolina? My dad is an Indian. I'm an Indian. My mother's an Indian. And we live in South Carolina. So he said, well, we don't have any official Indians in South Carolina. So you have to go to North Carolina and join the Lumbee. Or you can list yourself as black. But I said, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. Why, why could I not be my own race and still be a minority? I, I decided I'm not going to let the state do that. And I I didn't have money, but I had a, a typewriter and I got a copy of a lawsuit that somebody had done at some point and I typed in my stuff and I filed it. I sued the state to be able to register my company as a minority owned company. I filed it in the wrong court because I didn't know anything about that kind of stuff. But even the judge helped me figure it out. She said, well, put this down here and all that. And she said, go ahead and type me up an order and I'll sign it. And I said, Judge, I don't know how to type up a damn order. She says, well, I'll have my people do it. And so my company was listed as a minority-owned company. 
in the state of South Carolina. After that, Chief Hatcher led the tribe in chartering as a nonprofit organization. Then he started reaching out to the governor. Then that became governors, plural, because he wasn't getting anywhere at first. Eventually, in 2005, the South Carolina Commission of Minority Affairs officially recognized the Waccamaw Indian people. That wasn't a stopping point, though, because state recognition doesn't translate to federal recognition. That's an entirely separate and very complex process. Native people sort of face inherent dilemmas when they pursue federal recognition. I'm Adam Parker, a reporter at The Post and Courier. I cover race and history primarily. Uh, Federal recognition allows an Indian tribe to negotiate on a government-to-government basis with the federal government, with the United States. It gives them some degree of autonomy, of political autonomy, and some negotiating power. Actually getting that acknowledgement from the government, though, requires a lot of documentation. If you're an Indian, people want you to prove it. And to some extent, that is arbitrary. I mean, how do you prove how much blood, you, how much Indian blood's in your veins? So the, the way we do it now, the criterion for state recognition is that you have to show an unbroken line of tribal control for 100 years at least. At the time, you had to show that you had at least 100 members that tied to that group of people. And you had to have a governing document and a, and you had to be in, administering to your people by a tribal council or some organized leadership. We, we met all that, but then you have to prove that you are who you say you are. So Waccamaw, for example, we had to show that we were the remnants of the Waccamaw. Now, the last Waccamaw village that we know of, every depicted on a map, was done by a fellow named Herbert in 1725. That was de- depicted as Waccamaw Village. Now, we know that in 1725, there was no European courts and all that here, so people didn't register land and all that sort of stuff. That, that, that pocket of people just were there, and not owning land according to the, the standards that we see today. So that land was taken away from and given to other people. But the people didn't evaporate. The people stayed there. Generally, I mean, in the 1700s, going somewhere else and moving somewhere else was pretty much a task. Around about 1813, my great-great-something granddaddy, a fellow named John Demery, they bought 300 acres of land for themselves. And people started moving in on there, living together or close developed to to a community that had its own church and own school and all that sort of stuff. That place where the Herbert had depicted the Waccamaw village and the place where the Demery settlement formed is the same place or close to the same place. So it, it only makes sense that those people that, that were at the village that got taken away from them are the same people that, that formed that little village, that Demery settlement. And, and we made that case strong enough to the state that they recognized that we are members of the, uh, that we are the remnants of the Waccamaws. Getting federal recognition, though, requires everything that it took to get state recognition plus more. It's especially difficult for Native communities in the eastern part of the U.S., like South Carolina, to assemble the necessary documentation, 
because their contact with European settlers was much earlier than that of tribes in the West. Also, indigenous people weren't counted as such in the U.S. Census. Instead, they would be labeled as a free person of color, or mulatto, part of what Hatcher described as documentary genocide, an attempt to make it look, at least in official records, as if they'd never existed. When we were state recognized, we met every criteria that the federal government requires, except one. It requires that we show a known Walkamaw, every known Walkamaw today, everybody on my tribal road, we have to show their kinship to first historic times. Now, what does that mean? According to the BIA, it means the first time that your tribe has ever been listed on a history book. Now, that happened about 1689. There were no birth certificates, no death certificates, no history. Nobody recorded who they were. West of the Mississippi, they, their history is well documented because when they, when uh, the Europeans got to the west of the Mississippi, they usually encountered them with wars or whatever. Uh, on the East Coast, it was different. They, although we helped them survive, we were still considered uh, like property or something. Like uh, we didn't really count. They didn't keep track of who our chiefs were and who our tribal council was and who our members were. They never wrote that kind of stuff down. And so now they require that we be able to know who those members were and who the chiefs were, even though there were no documentation at all. Since we are recognized by the state of South Carolina as the remnants of the Waccamaw, that should be enough for the federal government because the federal government ought to realize that nobody would know who their Indians are better than the state they're raised in. But I can't get the government to change that. They, they still want to stick with that. To Chief Hatcher, meeting all of that criteria is a non-starter. He says it's just not possible. But there are other ways to get federal recognition. Their preferred route right now is through Congress. Two bills were recently filed by Representative Tom Rice of Horry County seeking federal recognition for the PD tribe and the Waccamaw. Uh, Rice submitted a bill, and that bill is now presented before Congress what will happen is uncertain, but there are several examples of federal recognition being granted through legislative acts as opposed to applying to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And that's what the Waccamaw are now hoping for. I'm okay going congressional route as long as Congress doesn't try to rob me of any privilege we might have. I'm just not going to take second-class citizenship. I've been living that my whole life. I do have the right, I think. So my my idea of of trying to make things right is to try to get the laws to accept that they're being unfair to my people. I'm a combat veteran. I got a Bronze Star, Purple Heart, Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry. But I couldn't even bury my mother the way my religious beliefs demanded. And it's like somebody's taking away things from me that I'm supposed to have. And I, I'm willing to fight it till they put dirt in my face. The only problem is I can't fight it with guns. I've got to fight it with politics. Aside from that bill, Chief Hatcher said he's seeing more positive signs overall that people are actually starting to listen. And many of them want to help. So I wrote every college and university 
office in the state. And I asked the deans, I said, I want to set up a task force to get some of these things done. And I got a lot of response. A lot of people that were interested in trying to, to make things come out a little even. But one I really got fortunate with was, uh, was Coastal Carolina University. And I had PhDs that had uh, knowledge and they knew how to make things go. And they, they knew how to write the letters to make people listen and that sort of stuff. And they volunteered. And I, I asked them to take this task on or that task. And they did. That's working to help us get the information out about our people, our past, our present, and our future. All these things are coming to play now. After all these years of me batting my head on the brick and not getting a lot done, uh, I finally figured out how to make it happen. And these people, I'm just so, so proud of them. It's hard to, it makes tears come to my eyes when I think of all these people doing all these good things. The progress, I think, we're coming from zero miles per hour to 60 miles per hour in roughly 30 years. Because at first, you know, where there were no Indians in this state, as far as the state was concerned. But now they know they're Indians in this state. Now they know that, that th change is coming and people are not trying to line up to stop it. They're, they're generally trying to help you make it happen. Coastal Carolina University in particular, uh, which is located in Conway, is in, in the midst of Waccamaw territory. And a few professors there are very plugged in and introducing their students to members of the Waccamaw tribe, interviewing these folks. They're preparing this museum exhibition, which is about to open at the uh, Horry County Museum in Conway. I'm Carolyn Dillian. I'm a professor and chair of the Department of Anthropology and Geography at Coastal Carolina University. I'm Katie Clary, and I'm an assistant professor of history and public history at Coastal Carolina University. We have had a long relationship with the Waccamaw Indian people. I've known Chief Hatcher and Vice Chief Kale for a number of years. And for a long time, we've brought students to the powwow and had chief and vice chief give guest lectures and programs on campus. So we had, we had wanted to build on that relationship in some way for a long time. And Dr. Clary and I have done exhibit projects with our classes in the past. As we were ramping up for spring semester, we wanted to, to do something new and give students another exhibit experience. And our partnership with the Waccamaw Indian people was a great opportunity for that. They have been wanting to expand educational opportunities within Horry County and beyond to get, give the general public an opportunity to learn more about them, about their culture, their history, their traditions, and who they are today. So our partnership worked out perfectly, but it was kind of a long time coming. We had students go out to the tribal grounds and do oral histories and interviews with, we had 10 tribal members who were able to speak with us um, back in March. So we were able to speak with them and then take their words and use their own words about their history and their past, present, and future in the exhibit. Their exhibit opens at the Horry County Museum on April 27th, and it's likely to be on display for at least a year. The exhibit includes the tribal members' own words, that's a big part of it, and images of tribal members today. But we also wanted to trace the Waccamaw Indian people going back thousands of years as well, to show their long history and prehistory 
here in this part of South Carolina. So the exhibit also includes artifacts such as stone tools, pottery, things like that from the museum's collections and includes images and text that explain the archeological, historical, and present day material culture and belongings of the Waccamaw people. So when visitors come to the exhibit, they will not only see images and words and be able to listen to the audio of the Waccamaw Indian people today talking about themselves, their culture, and their history, but they will also have the opportunity to see archeological artifacts and other displays that focus on the past as well as the present. I think my favorite belonging that's on display in the exhibit is Chief Hatcher's tobacco pipe, his ceremonial pipe that he so graciously allowed us to interpret and the museum to have on loan so that we can display um, and tell some of the the current traditions of the Waccamaw Indian people so that we we want to make sure that we show that the Waccamaw Indian people are not just in the past, but they're still here today. They said they hope that this exhibit, in addition to educating the community, can also bolster the tribe's efforts to get that federal recognition. Part of the criteria for federal recognition includes that the tribe is known as a distinctive entity within the community. And this is an opportunity for us to help the Waccamaw tribe educate the community about them and about their culture. So it helps to raise awareness, it helps to correct misinformation, it helps to educate the community, and we have also invited a number of politicians to come, not that we expect them to come, but uh, we're hoping that by raising awareness there, it may help the Waccamaw Indian people with the, the bill that has been put forth by Representative Tom Rice to grant them federal recognition through congressional action. I think it's also been really eye-opening for students, for my colleagues, friends, and family, just to realize that the Waccamaw Indian people don't have federal recognition. Um, I've had a lot of questions of why don't they have federal recognition, and also why is federal recognition even a thing? I think a lot of people who live here locally don't understand that process, and so the exhibit tries to make that clear and also explain what it would mean to the Waccamaw Indian people to get federal recognition. One of the misconceptions that we're trying to address with this is the idea that Native American people in the Waccamaw are people of the past, because they're not. They're a people of the present. They're our neighbors and our colleagues and our coworkers and our friends, and they still have unique culture and unique community, but they're also part of the larger Horry County and South Carolina community, too. And we want people coming to the exhibit to learn that they didn't go away. They didn't disappear. They haven't left. They're not gone. They're here. They're here today. And we want to recognize that and we want to celebrate their unique culture in the process. He's finally starting to gain a little bit of momentum. You, know, you have the exhibit opening, you have a lawmaker sponsoring a bill, you have like, some documentation being gathered, you have professors speaking on their behalf, uh, you have the state itself that has recognized them as a legitimate minority and a, and a tribe in the state. And you even have things like the, these ancillary projects like the Black River 
restoration and reclamation project, which is going to create a new state park. Part of that effort is to engage communities like the Waccamaw, who live very nearby and would have had use of the Black River and the Waccamaw River, obviously, and to bring them into the fold, to get them to be among the stakeholders of the park project, the state park project. So there's just there's just been a, a handful of things lately that have um, drawn attention to the Waccamaw's uh, situation and their their effort to to gain more recognition. Well, my next big ob- objective, I think, is to meet with President Biden. I wrote President Obama some twenty something time and never got an answer to a letter. So when Joe Biden came down to uh, South Carolina politicking, uh, I took a copy of all those letters and. I kind of bulldozed my way up to him and gave him the letters. And I told him, I said, I'm damn human and American too. And he said, you damn right you are. That's what he said. And we talked for about five minutes, I guess. And I told him, I gave him a copy of the letters. He said, you will hear from me. I haven't heard from him yet. And I've got a lot of uh, a support that I didn't have before because of the universities doing a lot of the stuff to work with me and that sort of stuff. So so my, that's my next biggest thing is to get to, to Joe Biden and to try to make them understand that just because they set a standard for somebody to meet doesn't mean the standard is right. All right, listeners, that's all for today. If you're looking for more Post and Courier podcasts to listen to, check out the latest episode of our special series, 12 Black Leaders to Know, hosted by one of our guests on today's show, reporter Adam Parker. He shared a little bit more about the project and what to expect from the latest episode. So in preparation for Black History Month this year, the Post and Courier launched a pretty cool project. We wanted to highlight some interesting people throughout the state, and we call the project 12 Black Leaders to Know in South Carolina. And uh, we put out a a special section in February that included several articles, but also 12 short profiles of these folks. And and we've been creating video interviews and podcasts as well to accompany that special section and the project as a whole. And every month we launch a new video interview and podcast. And we'll continue to do that right through the year and into January until all 12 of our folks are presented to the public. This month, we're featuring Jerry Blassingame. He is quite an extraordinary guy. He's got a criminal background, and he turned himself around amazingly and now operates a nonprofit, a community development corporation called Soteria in Greenville. And Soteria is devoted to helping the formerly incarcerated get back on their feet and re-enter society as productive citizens. And so they're provided with clothing and food and training and job training. And they, they work in a workshop on carpentry stuff. They make furniture and they're paid and housed and provided all of the essential things that far too often the formerly incarcerated don't get. So it's quite an extraordinary program in Greenville, and Jerry Blassingame is quite an extraordinary fellow. And that is our feature person to know 
this April. We've included a link to listen to that podcast in today's show notes. We also have some more information about how to attend the new exhibit. If you visit it, write to us about it at understandsc at postandcareer.com and let us know what you learned. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.